I usually bring a gift, but I'm kind of glad I didn't today because he took five minutes of my sermon. I have too much material today. So. No, just kidding. Uh, I, I couldn't wear this because of the microphone thing, but you've you got to see here. I, I do have a team. I don't, I don't know what the big deal is about Super Bowl. I've been living in Asia, and we haven't watched the Super Bowl for all these years, so I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, not really. I, I'm just joking. I, I'm an Eagles fan. There's no question, but... Uh, the best sports team on the planet right now is Penn State wrestling team. They're, they're like 10 national championships in the last 11 years. They're going to win five national championships this year, maybe even six. You, know, you never know. But I'm boasting a little bit, but when I became a Christian, I, I was a brand new Christian when I went to Penn State, and I wrestled in high school. The only thing that kept me sane, trying to, you know, I did so much pot and alcohol and drugs and sex and the whole thing in high school. 14 to 18 was bad, and I'm looking over here at your youth pastors because they're my heroes. Jamie and, and, and Mark, and, uh, you know, we got to reach this next generation. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm working with CORE over at Hershey. I'm working with eighth grade young men and their dads, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also doing some traveling. But, yeah, Sportsman's Banquet uh, 24th, I will give you the secret of how to catch monster trout on any stream in Pennsylvania that there's trout. you gotta, you got to know where to go. But I, I, I caught most of mine on the Quiddy this year. And I don't even start till July. I start in July. And my average is like 18 inches right now. I'm just, I'm just teaching, just telling you. <laughs> that, was a, that was only a pound rainbow, that one. But the, the bigger one that I sent him a picture of was 2.1 pounds. That was a brownie. Anyway, so come today. I'll give you that secret. And I'll do some preaching as well. On, uh, on That's the 24th in the evening. So it'll be right here, correct? Right here. And uh, I gave some sermon notes, so you'll be able to look at the scripture, and you'll be able to do the discussion things uh, in your small groups. And, uh, you know, your church is just amazing. I, I have to, I'm, I don't say this about many churches. There's a guy here in the, in the, in the audience, this is another amazing church, and when I was overseas in, in Thailand, I'd watch his sermons every Sunday. Randy Buckman, can you stand up just for a second? Come on. He, he just retired. He's, uh, he put in how many years at, at, at how many years in the ministry? 42, but he was at uh, Tri-State Fellowship down in Hagerstown, which is a supporting church, and Randy's one of my heroes, and you're here today just visiting, not here because of me, He's, his son is uh, he's nearby, so and it's good to have you here, Randy, so now I have a lot of pressure on to give a great sermon, because Randy's one of the better preachers on the planet, but I'm telling you, your, your staff is amazing, and they invited me to come and preach, I've been preaching like, you know, two or three times a year here now, I haven't yet preached at Hershey Free Church, they don't, they don't like me over there, <laughs> shh, I didn't say that. I'm not grumbling or complaining. It's just that's the way things are. But I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. And we're doing this series right now called "In Living in the Name of Jesus," right? And we're on number seven. So I'm number seven, and I've listened to all seven, and they're all good. And I was a little pressured to come up with something new and something good. And so, and God has God has brought me to a topic today that I think is is very important because work, working in the name of Jesus, that's at least forty hours for adults. Uh, it may, if not more or less, but uh, it's something we all do. And if we're going to live in the name of Jesus, if we're going to bring our theme from the church, you know what our theme is? You know what our theme is? You have it memorized? The, the motto of the church? It's right on the front of your bulletin. Yeah, knowing, living, sharing the heart of Jesus. So we're on the living part right now, living in the name of Jesus. So today we're going to look at work in the name of Jesus. And, you know, I have a lot to share, so I'm going to have to cut it down a little bit this morning. But um, I've, been, I've been preaching in Cuba and in Pakistan the last four or five years, and Cuba the last three years, and uh, I, they, the pastors said these are all lay people that don't have money or time to go to seminary, and so they've asked Bruce Camp and I to come and teach them, 
the Bible. And I said, okay, I'm in. I can do this. And I, I like to teach a book. So I, every time I come, I'll teach you a book. And I asked him, what books do you want to study? I think I did Ephesians first, and I did First Peter second. I asked him, what do you want? He said, we don't ever get any Old Testament. So I did Ecclesiastes and Proverbs the last two trips to Cuba and Pakistan. So there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there about work. In fact, you just go to the Bible from the beginning to the end. It's right in the beginning. God created Adam, gave him a job, and he was naming the animals. And then he created Eve, and they intended the garden. And they were to produce and multiply. And then there was sin. What happened? They screwed up. Now work became harder. You know, work. You know, you have to sweat. Thorns and thistles. And we don't have time to go into all that theology. What happens right after that? After the fall, they go out of the garden. Abel's uh, raising sheep, and he makes an offering to the Lord. You know, he's tithing, like Randy talked about. Uh, Randy, not Randy. Ken talked about it last week, being generous, you know, and making your tithe as a minimum. And Abel made his offering, and Cain made his offering. He was tending the, he was planting the fields and stuff. He made his offering. And God didn't like Cain's offering. I don't quite understand all that, but Cain and Abel had an argument, and <laughs> what happened? The first murder. All about work, about pride. So work is something you just don't want to talk too directly about or too hard about to a person or confront a person and challenge them that they're not doing good work because it's something that we men especially take pride in, but we all take pride in that. So, so let's look at work in the name of Jesus. I want to take you to the first starting verses, Colossians 3.17, if you can put it up there. And whatever you do, whatever you do, so this isn't just about work, but this is your entire life. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So working in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you might say, well, that doesn't talk enough about work, but look at the context. The next, just a few verses later, Colossians 3, 22 and 24. He starts off with the word bondservant. Now, we know that that's kind of a slave, but it's a person that's chosen to be a slave, and they made a contract with their, with their boss, and they, you know, they nailed their ear to the door. You've heard all that stuff. You've heard all the sermons, right? But a bond servant is you who has a job. You have a job. You have a boss. You get fired if you don't do it. You don't lose your ear or anything, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's worker. You're a worker, right? A bond servant. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. These bond servants, they weren't going to get an inheritance, so he's telling them, hey, you're going to get an inheritance from me. If you do your job, if you serve me, you're serving Christ, you're not serving this master. And you know, a lot of people say, well, the Bible has a lot about slavery and masters and stuff. Actually, it's, if you look at the stuff and really interpret it, it's very excellent stuff that they were talking very positive values to a culture that had 50% slaves. So Bible isn't saying slaves is good. In fact, the Bible, the people interpreted the Bible and took it forward, eliminated slavery from the earth. So we, we don't have time to go into that. That's a whole other sermon. But, but bond servants, you're to obey your earth, earthly masters. So I, I, if I were to ever give a graduation speech, which I've never been asked to, but if I were ever to give one, this is what I'd say. Okay, all you high school graduates or college graduates, go get a job, show up early, work your tail off, and one day you own the company, Okay. That's my, that's my advice, because that's what the Bible teaches us. Idleness, laziness, not showing up on time, not being responsible, not being obedient to your earthly masters. This is what's in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes as well, so we'll, we'll go there a little later. If you want to look at a broader context, I don't have this in your notes, but if you want to open your Bibles, I'll read you a passage here, and it's the same passage from Colossians chapter 3. I'll have to get to it now. 
Getting old is hard. I got a bigger print Bible. It's still not big enough because I need surgery on my left eye. I can't read too well anymore. But, but if this passage of Colossians 3 is a passage about life and about how you should be, how you should live in life. So we can apply it to work because work is 40 hours out of 168 hours a week, right? So if you're going to be a person on this planet Earth, this is the context of what he just talked about, about bond slaves, obeying your masters, about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is how we should act. And this is like five sermons right here. Verse 12, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed we're called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's that verse I started with. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. That's your how to live, how to work, how to be a person that's attractive in this culture. That's knowing, living, and sharing the heart of Jesus, living out those words. And you see in there, it's not about, not about arguing and about persecution and all that stuff. It's all about kindness and compassion, humility, patience, bearing with one, forgiving. I was at a retirement party the other day with a guy who worked 44 years for Veolia Water Company, and he, uh, he was giving his top 10 list of things he'd recommend for you uh, now that he's retiring. This is things I've learned in my, and he's an executive now of Veolia Water Company. You know what his number one was? Forgive and ask forgiveness when you make mistakes. That was his number one. And he told stories about that. He had 10 of them, but that was the one I remember. And I said, wow, I need to be, I need to be more careful with that with my own life. But uh, there it is, right in the middle of this. Live in harmony with others. Forgive, be gentle, be patient, be meek. That's the heart of Jesus, isn't it? Amen? All right. So now you may be thinking, well, Dean, that's, you know, this is all good, but how does it apply to me? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over one more passage I think is very helpful. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 12. And this is going to be several slides. So I'll read it through once, and then we'll go back and look at it. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For when, for you yourselves know how to, you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked day, night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right as apostles, but we do give you, give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you... We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And I heard that from my, my father many times. <laughs> For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is the heart of God. God wants you to work hard. This is uh, the theology of work from the beginning. I'm going to go into it a little bit in Ecclesiastes in a bit, but God wants you to do your job and be hardworking and leave a legacy. Martin Luther talked a lot about this. So did Calvin. They talked about work and a work ethic. And sure enough, central Pennsylvania 
has that work ethic. If you don't show up early or 10 minutes early, you're late. That's what my dad used to tell me. <laughs> that, that's a little bit of a work ethic, right? We have this work ethic. And our work, as Luther said, is, is God's gift to society. Your work is God's gift to society. If you, no matter you're scraping streets in Cuba or you're CEO of a huge company, you need to do your job with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. You know, it's just like loving God. He wants you to do that with your work too. Everything you do with all your strength, do it with all your might because that's your gift to back to God and God approves of whatever you do. Now, I'm down in Cuba and there's a big problem with the economy down there. There, there really isn't many jobs and a lot of people have left and gone to Europe and Spain. You can get a visa to Spain now if you're proving that you were a, a relative of the Spaniards, so most of them can do that. Although the, 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 some can't and there's a little bit of racism to them because the ones that came as slaves from Africa can't go to Spain. But anybody who has, you know, the name and just a little bit of proof, they can go to Spain. So a lot of Cubans in Spain, a lot of Cubans in Florida, a lot of Cubans all over the world, not a lot of Cubans in Cuba. There's just not a lot of jobs. So we're down there doing some feeding programs and we're doing some other things to help. But, but we're, we're seeing a, a, a hunger for God and a turning to Christ at the house church level. So it's pretty exciting. But I've been preaching this. I've been doing this Proverbs and Ecclesiastes with them. And I'm feeling a little weird because they, they just don't have work, you know. And God gave me a, an illustration that I shared with them. And it really made an impact. And we had small groups afterwards. And they didn't stop talking after an hour in small groups. And I wasn't going to cut it off. It was this. I said, if God told you to do your job and do it with all your heart, no matter what you do, it's not your job that makes you. It's your identity in Christ. Who you are in Christ, you bring significance. You're an eternal significant being. And you know Christ. And you're bringing that to the workplace. So if you're sweeping streets, you'd be the best street sweeper there ever was. And then when people gather around to see how good you street sweeper, you can preach to them, too. You know? <laughs> and I, I, I made Bruce Camp, the guy who was going to be Dr. Bruce Camp, I made him get up there with the broom and sweep. You know? Now notice Bruce. He's happy, he's smiling, and, and got crowds together. And, and they, they, they identified with that. And I, I said, well, that's, that's, that's our work. You know? Let's not be busybodies, as some were. Let's not eat other people's bread. Obviously, obviously, there's people eating other people's bread and not paying for it. That's what he's saying in this passage. You got to understand the culture of that time and that you know, there's a lot of slaves, there's a lot of things going on, but the people at the top were called the patrons and everybody underneath them that was working for them or received blessings from them were clients. So you have something called a patron-client relationship. And if you're a missionary, you study this because you get into, you get into problem with this in the third world especially, where you don't want to become a patron. Because everybody comes to you and offering to be nice to you and, and, and become a Christian and everything else, and then you've got all these people there that just want to be fat, right? And so that gets into a problem. So the patron-client relationship can be, be harmful. But back then, it was more of a political thing. They could have all these people around them and get something they wanted done in society. They have all these people, they were paying their rent or giving them food or, or whatever, and there's a lot of people that were just loyal to the patron, right? They're loyal to the patron. And it created people that weren't really working, but they were eating. They weren't really taking care of themselves because this patron was taking care of them. For It's like almost like uh, if you're a politician, you're a businessman, you want a politician to, to do something for you. You have you know, ways of bribing and different things like that. It happens in every society. But you also have lobbyists that go in, you know, in So these patrons had these lobbyists that were pushing their program in the cities, in the big cities, and that's, that's the patron-client relationship. And so he said, okay, 
Some of you are just being busybodies. You're not doing anything. You're eating other people's food. He said, that's not how we did it. We came in as apostles, and we built tents. We made tents in, in the market and stuff, and then we went and did our job. He could have asked them to pay for him. That's in, in Scripture in 2 Corinthians and other places. But he said, we, didn't, we had that right, but we didn't take that right. We made an example to you that we're to work, and if you don't work, you don't eat. And we gave you this example. We don't want you to be busy about it. We want such persons we commanded and encouraged in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. He goes on to even say that if they don't, if they're not willing to work, earn their own living and work a job, then uh, exit them from the church. That's one of the first church disciplines in the same passage right here. So that's, that's a tough one. Now, this patient-client lobbyist relationship, you know, we can see it in our society. The mafia is basically there. You've got a guy at the top, and he has all these people underneath him. And, you know, if you get underneath him, but that's crime, right? That, that's different. That's definitely against what God will want. I ran into this several times in the Philippines and Thailand, and it wasn't just a small thing. It was a very large thing. It was very disturbing, where people would come to you, a guy who said he wants to be a pastor and wants to work for you, and just pay me, and I'll go do this job. And I, and I just you know, didn't have a piece of back. I didn't know him, and I gathered some information about the person that no, isn't going to be a good fit. And they just wanted you to give them a job, and they'll be loyal to you. And so I, I began noticing around me there was a lot of guys that were be, receiving money from international mission groups. I don't want to name groups. Some very big, well-known ones that weren't doing anything. They were getting a salary every month. And we're not talking dozens. We're talking hundreds. And in one country, thousands receiving salaries in perpetuity. It's not like, okay, after you plant a church, you have to go plant another church, and there's accountability. There was none of that. And that really bothered me. So I got into that a little bit, and it was rather large. And I said, ooh, this is this passage right here. If you're not called to be a pastor or church planner, you know, you shouldn't be, you sh if you're not going to do the work, you shouldn't get paid, number one. Number two, there needs to be some accountability. So be careful on that. When people come to you asking you for money, and we see this all the time in the church with people coming saying, you have food, you have jobs, whatever. And I know one guy, one of my friends had a $20,000 budget in his church. He was brand new out of seminary in Southern California. And their church had been traditional about giving food and money and stuff to people. So he took over this job and they said, we want you to come up with some rules. And he came up with rules. He, he had a bunch of rules. And the number one rule is, we're going to ask you to do work. And he came up with like 20 jobs in the church. So when people come to ask for money or food or whatever, he says, well, I've got these jobs in the church. And he stuck with it. And after one year, he still had $20,000 in, <laughs> in his budget. And the church was like, how did you do that? I said, you don't work, you don't eat. That was, his, that was his principle. You want money? We got this job. We're pulling weeds over here. And they had all these jobs in the church. So that's, that's one way we can handle that stuff. I want to move on because Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite things. And, and I was told by three different people that I keep it short. It's, you know, Super Bowl Sunday and Valentine's Day is coming up. And, you know, we could talk about all that stuff. They're all, all interesting things. But so I do want to keep it short. But let's turn to Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 26. Now, this book, Ecclesiastes, is Solomon at the end of his life. And he's writing a book kind of repenting and confession. And he's saying, I tried everything under the sun. It was all vanity, everything, money, sex, alcohol, you know, the buildings, gardens. He did it all. And at the end, he said in the last verse of the, of the book, he said, this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Obey God. Keep his commandments, right? After that, 
You know, that's, that's, and he didn't do it. He was confessing that. But one, one thing that's interesting in this book, and it's very fascinating, he keeps throwing in there almost every chapter, but definitely chapter two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, he throws in there this, this idea, and I'm going to read it to you. He repeats it several times. I'm going to read two of them to you. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 26. He starts off with these words, there's nothing better. Up to this point, it's been all negative. He had everything he could ever want, you know, gold and silver and horses and, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had the whole thing, right? He had the whole thing, right? He had, and that's not even an American dream there. He had the American dream 3,000 years ago, plus he had all that harem and everything else. So, yeah. All right, there it is. He had everything. He had all that money. And, and And he talks about it in this book. But this is what he says. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, toil means, you know, work. You're working by the sweat of your brow. You're bringing stuff from the earth, and it's hard work, so toil. But it's work, right? This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases God, pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. Isn't that a beautiful passage? There's some good stuff in Ecclesiastes, and he repeats this in almost every chapter. I'm going I'm to skip ahead to Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 10, because it's Valentine's Day. We have to put this one in, because this is the only one where he includes his sweetheart. Ecclesiastes 9 says, again, there's nothing better than this. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine. Now, it does say wine here, and that does mean alcoholic drink, so you have to put that in your theology thing and shake it a little bit. I think Jesus, when he made water into wine at the garden of Canaan, it was alcoholic, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, you know, whatever. Have you seen The Chosen? It's really good. Uh, <laughs> and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. There it is. God has already approved what you do. This is a very powerful thought, that your job whether it's a dirty job like Mike Rose says, you know, in there and cleaning up, you know, and building worm nests and, and all that stuff that Mike Rose does. Uh, your job, what you do, is already approved. God appreciates what you do. Again, it's your gift to society and whatever. And, you know, Mike Rowe, we can talk about Mike Rowe for a long time, but let me finish this passage. Mike Rowe is amazing because he's showing that, you know, today you can be a plumber and make, you know, over $100,000. You can be a, a welder. There's 250,000 diesel mechanic jobs with one company in America, Caterpillar, right now. If you can go get the training. And they start at like 70,000 and work your way up. So, yeah. That's, that's another thing, another kind of thing to talk about. But I, lo- I like Mike Rowe and his approach to life. That it's not, it's not the job that makes you. It's you that makes the job. God has already approved it. So do it with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Let your garments, let me get back to this Ecclesiastes. Go eat your, joy, your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. That means dress nice. Let not all be lacking in your head. You know, don't forget your body odor and detergent. You know, this is you know, one of the things they had. Oil was a blessing, but it was also, you know, was instead of taking lots of baths and stuff. Dress nice, look nice. Be, be, be attractive. Let all not be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil or your work at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with 
all your might. I put that in there. That's, a, that's an extra word. Do it with your might. So I, I left it out. Do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Shoal where you're going. Now, Shoal, don't let that Shoal scare you. That, he's just talking about you're all going to die. You're all going to be either in heaven or hell. <laughs> and that's something you need to think about too. And uh, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I have had so many wonderful relationships in church planting. We go into a community, and we'll try and find the leaders in the community and try and do things that will draw them in. And one of the things that always worked in the Philippines was basketball. We had these big basketball tournaments. There's just one guy in this village called Fortune Village and Parafort, the two villages, and right between them, there's a basketball court. So we were, we were living there, and we were planting a church there. And this one guy that I was organizing this basketball tournament with. It was a big deal. We spent money and had referees, and it was, they just loved basketball, right? And I played, too. I was a referee as well. But this one guy's name was Ogie. He was kind of a scary guy because he was drunk all the time. And he was an import person. He imported things. So his company was working with the, probably the worst area of the Philippine government. So much corruption. The, the, the tax officials it, that bring stuff in, you had to deal with them as, as oh, it was this job working with them to bring stuff in. And people were always trying to bring in contraband and sports cars and motorcycles, and they'd bring a container, and in the middle would be a Porsche, you know, and surrounded by, you know, clothing or something like that, and they would get all this stuff. You can imagine the culture that Ogie was in. So he was a little bit of a scary guy, and I didn't know how to deal with him, but I said, okay, we're dealing with him to get to these kids. And one day after the tournament was almost over, Ogie came over to me and says, why are you here? And I said, well, you know, you know, we're Christians, and we're here to start a church, and I just real honest with him. He goes, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, this guy, you know, this is the last person you'd ever expect to come to Christ. He says, I'm ready. And long story short, he accepted Christ on the spot. And I began to meet with him. And he began to talk about his job. And over the next couple of years, he just, he was just burdened that he was, you know, doing all this crime and corruption and stuff. He's in the middle of it. He says, I'm going to start a new company. Because he was working for somebody else. But he was very good at what he did. So he started a new company. And I, I, I believed in him so much that we gave him a big chunk of money to get this thing started. He needed an office. He needed a copy machine, a few things. So we helped him with that. And he got that going. And to see this guy's life change and to see him become a wealthy man by doing honest work, it was just amazing. And he became the leader of the church, became the head of the elder board, and he, it, was, it was just an amazing thing. To see this man respond. There was another guy who was a lawyer at another church plant, the next church plant in the Philippines. His name was Abi Garcia, and he had, he had a lot of mistresses and everything else. And so we were dealing with Ogie, and finally he gave, uh, uh, Abe, we were dealing with Abi, and he gave his life to Christ. And uh, he was doing real well. And then he had a heart attack, and he asked the elders to come pray for him. We prayed for him, and he was healed, like, instantly. And after that healing, he came out and he said, I am changing. He was already, like, 75 years old. I am not going to do this. He was a very corrupt lawyer in the lawyer's legal system. And he did the same thing. And to see these guys commit to doing what was right and to bring Christ into the workplace and see how God blessed them, Christ makes a huge difference. It makes all the difference in your life. So, Amen. And, you know, I, I share with these guys because I know, and you probably have the same thing, you know, in your, in your work, you, you, you can't talk too loudly. You can't be too bold. And First Peter talks about being quiet and gentle and being patient. And that's our last verse, I think, First Peter 3, 13. Uh, oh, they only put 3, 13 on there. Oh, it's, it's a long passage. Oh, 14 is not, okay, let's read it. Now, to, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Because I was preaching to Abi and... And, 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 and Augie, and, uh, and verse 15, 14. 
I have to, I can't see that. I have to open up my Bible, sorry. Forgive me. It's getting old. I need surgery on my left eye. That's messing me up, my left eye. This bright light. First Peter 3. I'll start again. Verse 13. This is one of these passages all missionaries share. Now who is there to share, harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. This is the people you work with, right? Have no fear of them, be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, right? Always being prepared to be, make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And you can throw patience in there and a few other words too. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, because, you know, he's a Christian, blah, 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 blah. You know all that behavior. <coughs> when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good than, than it, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So there it is. We need to be living in the name of Jesus at our workplaces, putting in hard work, doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and being careful not to be offensive at the same time. And at the same time, being gentle and patient and respectful and sharing the good word of Jesus Christ. So this week in your, in your life groups, you know, sharing your life group, if you are in a life group, if you're not, you need to get in one. It's simple as that. You need to be in a small group. Get in your life groups with a friend. What has been your work experience? And share this week, But when you get together, how God has used you in the past to be a witness. Share prayer items about your current workplace and needs to be prayed over. We need to be praying for work. This is a big part of our lives. Discuss how our current culture is doing work ethics and how we can be influencers in this current workplace culture. And then you can talk about other things. And one of the things I'm asking you to do is come up with a top five list uh, for a high school or college graduate of things you would advise them to think about or do in work. <laughs> and then, you know, I know some of you have very awesome workplaces and some of you have very not so awesome workplaces. I worked for United Parcel Service four years in graduate school out in California. And... Uh, that was a challenge. I, and I quickly moved from loading, unloading trucks to wearing a tie and being a supervisor. And I worked 9 p.m. to 3 a.m., except for Christmas. You worked about eight hours in a row at Christmas. You worked all night long. But it was good pay. It gave me benefits. But I had to work with a really tough crew. In fact, for about three years, I was su supervisor sword owl guy. And every other supervisor over the sword owl guys, because they're the highest paid in the building, uh, quit after six months or got moved to another department. I, I stayed with those guys for three years and I just, I, I lived this stuff. I was gentle and respectful. And we, we, I, I believed in them. I told them, well, here's your work schedule. Here's your vacation schedules. And I listened to them. I had the union steward. Everybody in the building hated this guy. And my, I made it my, my joy and my prayer request that I could become friends with this guy and we could, we could get along together. And we did. And in the building, and everybody was like, Dean, what did you do there on that dirt? I said, I just... Just being honest and being kind and being loving, working hard, whatever I have to do. And at the end of that three and a half, four years I was in seminary, they came to me. My boss was a Christian, Ed Shinoda. He said, Dean, we need you full-time with UPS. We, we just have to have you. And we, they have never offered that to anyone in the building ever, part-timer, going straight to, and they offer you like a million dollars worth of stock, you know, kind of thing, and they give you all this spiel. And I said, I'm graduating in a few weeks, and I'm going to be going as a missionary over to the Philippines planting churches. And I ain't going to sit around and push boxes around the rest of my life. I don't care how much money you're going to pay me. So amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this talk today, and thank you for this time we can look at work, that this 40 hours that we have or more every week, and the life that you have. And Lord, some of us have retired, and uh, our boss hasn't changed. It's still you, Lord. Help us to 
get new assignments from you and how we can be working right to the grave, Lord, that we can be sharing the love of Jesus and the heart of Jesus with our society around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I didn't give the worship team enough time, so thank you. Yeah, we, we uh, just want to welcome you, Dean, to come up and join us. And let's thank Dean for sharing with us this morning. Uh, thank you so much for, for challenging us and encouraging us to look at the insights offered in Scripture. Church, would you think about magnifying Christ through the, the work position God has put you in as we sing this concluding song? Would you stand together with us?
bow down to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in the sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be Great to have you here this morning, and have a great Super Bowl Sunday, and I know most of you are Eagles fans, but you know, Andy Reid wins either way around, either way, so just, just so I'd throw that out there. And uh, it's great to have the Phillies, too. I'm a Phillies fan, by the way. Just, just, I, I've been wearing red today, not for Valentine's Day, but Phillies, Philadelphia Phillies. So. Okay, so have a great day, and uh, may Christ be magnified in your family, in your marriage. Don't forget the flowers or the gifts or the cards, and guys, you know, just remind us, Tuesday, Tuesday. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, that you can live in our hearts, and that we can be a witness, we can be uh, magnifying your name, we can show the world that you are the light, and we are the light on the hill. And thank you for this church, continue to bless it, and bless their staff, and their budget, and their plans for this next year, uh, and just be, be with this congregation as they reach out, in the name of Jesus, amen.